1: Hello, and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, let me tell you something special about today's episode. It's face-to-face. So, we recorded it at the uh, around the 15th, 16th of June, I believe. And after 14, 15 months, um, I reopened the, the studio... The the, the bar at the end, the little whiff in, the bar at the end of the garden, come office, come den, whatever you want to call it. And and, yeah, and today's guest, who is the wonderful Sarah Kaywood, uh, travelled over. She doesn't live far, just up the road and yeah, headed over and it was very bizarre sitting, chatting to somebody and being able to look into their actual eyes rather than uh, looking into their you know, into their eyes over the, you know, the means of Zoom or Skype or, you know, whatever program anyone's using. So it was really lovely to be able to kind of, yeah, ease back into proper podcasting, I guess. Is that what we're calling it? I suppose so. Uh, and what better person to, to, uh, to, to do that with than Sarah? She's an absolute delight, as you're about to find out. Um, we talk about everything. And what we established quite quickly is that Sarah's got incredible taste in records. And we literally talk about most of my favourite bands. So it makes for a really ace chat. And you're going to hear it very, very soon. Just quickly... Um, some thank you. So thank you to Scrobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to seventy six for producing this podcast. Um and thanks to you lot for the, the, the past fourteen months of um listening to these podcasts that have been done over Zoom. I'm sure there's still gonna be many, many more that are done over Zoom. Um but yeah, it feels nice to uh to be able to give you uh a podcast that is recorded in a room again. So uh yeah. Uh, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, there's loads of ways you can do it. Um, the easiest way is just to tell your pals or uh, give it a, a, a like, love, share or a retweet on the socials. Um, why not subscribe? That way you'll uh, you'll never miss an episode. Um, or if you'd like to get extra content, then uh, why not head over to Patreon? P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track and over there i put up weekly shows video episodes um playlists like everything so uh and i think it costs you about 79p uh, a month so uh peanuts um so yeah go get stuck in over there other than that also if this is your first time listening um go and check out once you've obviously finished this episode go and check out all oh, the back catalogue, because there's over 300 episodes now. You can hear chats with the likes of Foo Fighters, Motley Crue, Fatboy Slim. Um, gosh, um, if you like your, your actors, then uh, Molly Windsor, Amanda Abington, Maxine Peake. Oh, gosh. Uh, Michael Smiley. Um, producers. No, I spoke to Nirvana's producer, Butch Vig. Uh, who also produced Smashing Pumpkins? Oh gosh, who else? Uh, comedians: James Acaster, Ed Gamble, um, oh, Jade Adams—like loads, loads, and loads. Maisie Adam. So yeah, every there is it, it, a bundle for you to get stuck into. So go and have a, a look in the archives, and uh, and I am sure you'll find stacks of uh, episodes that you are going to fancy giving a listen to, but. You're here right now for this episode, and it gives me enormous pleasure to introduce it. Please enjoy Off the Beaten and Track podcast with the wonderful Sarah Kaywood. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat but yeah in the coming months there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff there's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the cacao bar from Hotel Chocolat all right let's get back to the podcast Off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me, Stu, with him. Okay, we are recording. Hello, Sarah.
2: Hello, Stu. How are you doing? you all right. I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, do you know what? This is super exciting because this is the first face to face podcast I have done in. 14 months
2: really yes is it all your squad cast and your zooms and everything it's it a bit is. tedious isn't it
1: and it's it's really strange it's, it's quite odd to be sitting opposite mm. someone in front of microphones which was everything it was and the concept 14 months ago of mm. doing that over zoom and trying to forge a kind of connection with someone over a screen just felt so bizarre and alien. Yeah. and when I first started doing it, the first couple of episodes, I was just thinking, oh, this is not going to work. And then before you know it, the simplicity of it and the reach that it allowed you yeah. as well was, was, was really And the guests exciting. as well. Like,
2: uh, completely. Because you, they can be anywhere in the world and yeah. they can also, like, you can go for your slightly more, I've, I've found that, you know, you're slightly higher up the food chain of celebs are happy to do it because they don't have to leave the house.
1: Absolutely. And you
2: haven't got to, you know, pay for their cabs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. But. You live down the road.
2: I do live down the road, it only took me—it took me about half an hour to get here, if that. And that's rush hour, technically. Mm.
1: And so you reached out about Pod Bible um, and your podcast, uh-huh. which we will definitely be talking about. Um,
2: and I didn't connect the dots, did I? Because you'd asked me to do yeah. this like a few months ago, mm. and it was it literally the penny dropped really slowly while we were talking about Pod Bible, <laughs> and then you were like, "Oh, you, will you come up?" And I was like, "And I," just, do you remember I said in a, in a text exchange? Didn't you ask me to be on this a few months ago? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what the menopause. we will talk about it later. Okay, uh, and we'll find out whether you're having the menopause too. You- oh, really? Yeah, man- there is. There, you're, hormones dip in men as well. Oh, in this is
1: interesting because, yeah. yeah, I mean, where we're recording this, we are in the Whiff which is basically the Whiff Inn. I love it. <laughs> <that. laughs> it's <laughs> lovely in here. Um, this screams midlife crisis. This room. It's like all of the nostalgic things, all of my heroes, all of my uh, my my, my favorite boxers, uh, all of my retro Star Wars toys. It's like it is one great big midlife crisis. Oh my god! Crisis. I didn't see them.
2: I've got some epic things to show you that I oh, sell really? that are Star Wars things.
1: All oh, right. Okay. We'll talk about
2: that later because it's like it's network marketing. It's completely off topic, but yeah. I'll okay. show you. Yeah, they're really nice. They're amazing. Sorry, I'm <laughs> yeah. leaning away from the microphone to look. <laughs>
1: All right, well.
2: Oh, wow.
1: I know That's you've prepped your songs, and I know you said yeah. it was, uh, you were still unsure on this one, and mm. was uh, thinking about it on the way over, mm. and uh, searching the radio for inspiration as well. So, first track. I'll tell you what, before we even get on with that first yeah. track, um, have you found the last 13, 14 months as Sarah, mum and wife, and Sarah... Worker.
2: <laughs> it's been hideous as mum and wife. <laughs> I fucking hated homeschooling. Never again. I said to Andy recently, I said, if we go into another lockdown in September, if were, if God forbid there's a vaccine, mm. um, you know, one that's vaccine-resistant strain. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, they can just re- repeat a year or be stupid because I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not fucking doing it. Hunter was all right, my eldest. He's, like, yeah. stupidly bright anyway. And that's not even a mum brag. He's just... Annoyingly, I yeah. think he might be have a slightly photographic memory and he just finds things really easy. Yeah. He loves the QI books. He's always telling me random facts. Like today he said that it's not true that all the water in the world is recycled and has been over millions of years, which is what we've all been told. He said that some of it has gone missing apparently. Apparently the sun burns up some of the water in the atmosphere and then it burns into outside of our atmosphere into the galaxy and is lost forever.
1: How old is He's 9. Aren't you meant to be teaching here? I know. he reads the QI. I said, where do you find that out? QI.
2: He reads all the QI books. But autumn was a nightmare. So mum and, and also I like my own company, too. I lived on my own in London for 10 years. And then before the pandemic, Andy was, he's an edit producer, a TV edit producer. He's going into London to edit suites, to, to edit and coming. So I do the school run, come back, got a lovely day to myself. i I'm, You know, a Leon C, dreadfully dreadfully white and middle class, but I did. It wasn't a Lee lady who lunched. I would come home, um, do bits and pieces, um, you know, do my voiceovers, do a bit of networking, just get on with getting on, and it was lovely. And that's all been taken away from me, and I don't like being in a house full of people all the time. It does my head in. Um, But work-wise, we were very, very lucky. The pandemic was really kind to us. Andy could work from home, um, edit producing and was just turning down jobs left, right and centre. And I got Um, I was doing some content creating for creating craft and that was nice money and I could do it with the kids. So it was like a double whammy of feeling like a good mum because I'd done crafting with the kids that day, but I'd also been paid for it. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. And then I did, was doing my challenge voiceovers from home. We the um, upstairs loft room, which has got a really low ceiling is perfect for voice work. So I was doing all of that, narrated a few channel five, cosmetic surgery, nightmare star shows. um, And obviously not, we didn't have any outgoings. Yeah. You know there was no commute into London anymore, so that side of it was really good, and that 's where the podcast was born as well oh, it obviously was born out it of. was born not we knew we were doing it, so yeah. I think we'd been into the podcast lounge for the production company we work with. Hello. Um, and um, so we'd been in a couple of times, but then we went into lockdown, and we're doing it all on Squadcast, and and, and it was fine. And then it was easy to book guests because they were all at home. You're sure. not that you're not going through someone's diary. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, we all had quite empty diaries, didn't we? It's only now that people have. Oh, let me check which Zoom I can fit you into in my <laughs> so Zoom, in my Zoom so timetable, isn't yeah. it? And, yeah, and forgetting them as well. Have you, did you, have you forgot Zooms before? You'll literally be... I'll just be cleaning the loo and then go, Fuck! I've got a Zoom!
1: <laughs> Andy, get my computer! I literally <laughs> had to drop um, my eldest to Thorpe Park on, uh, on Monday morning. And, uh, and so that's, like, a three-hour round trip. And I was, like... I stopped at the services of my wife just for a wee. And, like, and I thought I was quickly check my phone. And I just had a message going... I'm on Zoom. Where are you, mate? And I thought, oh fuck, I've just completely forgot. about I know. Those, I, to, I,
2: I put alerts on now, mm. but sometimes I don't even see those.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, so it's been all right. The pandemic. Well, it, you know, we we didn't lose anyone. Nobody. We, we all had COVID, but um, but my the elders of the family so my in-laws and my parents w- were all fine and came out the other side and now they're all vaccinated so hopefully the danger is you know because my dad would have been a goner <laughs> he's yeah. always he's got a fag in one hand and a glass of red wine in the other and his heart tells him so and he's nearly 80 so I think if he'd got covid it would yeah. have been the death of him but yeah so in that respect I just feel really lucky and it it, it is nice to be at home we've had lots of we did, I don't know whether you did this because you've got teenagers, so it's a different kettle of fish, but we went walking as a family in deep lockdown. Yeah. We'd just find the nearest woods.
1: We'd just drive. And it
2: was lovely. It was so nice. Mm. I mean, it's the Japanese um, call it nature bathing, don't they? And they prescribe it to people with depression. Really? Go and walk in nature. Nature bathing, yeah.
1: It's It, it was something because uh, we was chatting earlier, and my kids are like 18 and 16, so to spend time with them is quite, quite scarce. Yeah. Like they, they sort of come in and and rarely even open the sort of kitchen door and go, all right, they just come in and just go straight to their rooms. And (laughs) and, and, and it is, it is exactly that. And, and so during lockdown, obviously we was together a lot, which was, which was tricky at times. I'm not going to say it was ideal. Mm. Of course it wasn't. It was, you know, when you've got, you know, two, you know, stressed out teenagers in the house, it's tricky. And, uh, and, yeah, and I'm the only kind of guy in the house. So a lot of the time I'd be hiding down here with the dog uh, yeah. who'd, who'd come and hide down here with me. <laughs> and, uh, but um, then, kind of just getting out and walking was really nice because it, it, it seems strange, but it was like when we'd be out there in, in, the, in the woods just kind of like running around and just being stupid. Yeah. They kind of felt more... Childlike, again. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And
2: I also think it's easier to just make conversation, hundred percent. Like because you can't, you don't really get your phone out, and look at your phone while you're in Walking in the Woods because yeah. you'd fall on your face. Yeah. So naturally, phone, you know, devices are put away. Yeah. And you will. I always say to the kids, look up, look up, look down. Look, yeah. You know, just look. Don't just look ahead of you. Yeah. Like look all around. Be do a three hundred and sixty because there's so much to see. 100%. But then it's just just nice chatting, just yeah. chit chat.
1: Did you feel it helped? Like, where where you live near the sea. I mean, that's got to be nice to be able to go and have a walk by the sea. Yeah,
2: it was really lovely. I love living in Lee, though. It is so nice. But we were just saying... My only problem with it is it's perhaps not... I, I lived in... Kilburn when I first moved to London, um, and then Camden for a long time, and then Crouch End. So I was getting slightly, more, I was I was moving up the food chain. By the time I got to Crouch End, it's really uh, quite quite middle class and shishi, and there's a waitress just down the road. But now it's um, the, the lack of diversity worries me a little bit. But um, but that will change in time, yeah. and I'm just making sure I, I I raise my children to you know not think that this is their little bubble yeah. of middle class whiteness. So okay. yeah but I love it. It is lovely. And the sea, like this morning, this, the, obviously it's estuary. People mm. are always, my, my stepdad always goes, it's estuary, not sea. And I'm like, it's salty.
1: Yeah, it's do, salty.
2: Do you know it where, it, at what point in the Thames, it goes, oh, what's the word? Um, I can't remember what the word is, where it starts. Oh, brackish. Brackish?
0: So,
2: brackish is where salt, river water and seawater start, So it, where it starts being salty. Do you know at what point in the Thames it gets brackish? You're, you will never believe it if you guessed. So it's fully salty by the time you get to Leon C. Putney. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Brackish <laughs> at Putney. Wow. I know. That's like West London. So you, by the time you've gone past the Millennium Dome, it's probably getting quite salty. That's
1: all that rowing. There's lots of rowing around Putney, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, wow. I
2: know. I had to Google it.
1: I thought that would have been somewhere... Way different to that. I
2: know that's where it starts ming- mingling,
1: brackish. Yeah,
2: but this morning on my run because I like to get out and just have some a little. I don't, I'm not a runner really. Everything creaks. My knees are knackered, but I like just. I like listening to podcasts actually on my run.
1: Right.
2: You Yeah, songs? I do. Uh, or or, or audio books as well. Yeah. Uh, but this morning the water was in and it was lapping. So yeah. I did a little story Instagram, and I love that sound. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Brilliant. But yeah, estuary living. You know, you only get that about once a month.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. Let's start the playlist. And for track one, Sarah, I'm going to ask you, please, uh, for the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. Oh, this is so hard to do. I can't believe You, you can it. have some honourable mentions.
2: I'll this. give some... Uh, definitely honourable mentions. Um, honourable mention number one, Losing My Religion by R.E.M. OK. I mean, what's not to love about a mandolin, right? A mandolin riff?
1: My, my favourite of a band.
2: Really? One of mine. Up there, Definitely. Um, and Michael Stipe was the exec producer on Velvet Goldmine. I was in it. Did you meet Michael Stipe? Yeah. So I've got a couple of photographs um, that he took of me that he gave me at the wrap party in in my den. That he took. He was taking loads of on set of photographs. He came up and gave them me at the end.
1: Was he nice?
2: He was lovely on the set of Velvet Goldmine. And then I bumped into him in LA a few years later, and he was really rude. <laughs> so oh, see, so go figure.
1: It's really weird. Cause I know quite a few people that have met him that have said things that aren't that nice about him yeah. and he's like he's a big big deal for me like yeah. growing up you know in, in you know the time I did that album at yeah. that time and, and you know introduced me to that band and yeah. oh my god they soundtracked like a big part of my life and now you think don't meet your heroes and yeah I think that's the one that i just think oh,
2: yeah he was know. lovely and then he kind of but then but also imagine i mean it was in a club and i went up and went oh do you remember me i was involved Velvet in goldmine and he's probably you know just wanting to have a chat yeah. with his mates and so i sort of get it i didn't ask to join them or anything like oh i didn't just join them i literally just leaned over and said hello michael um and oh, i didn't take it personally it was yeah. fine but that that is gorgeous that, but that a lot of their intros are lovely. Um, the other one is I just, I want to be adored by the roses. It's just that the way it builds, I just think it's, um, just gorgeous. And then, um, I've got one more before the big one. So, and these two, it was a toss up, like, which one do I go for? And then I heard one of them on the radio on the way here. And I was like, okay, that's the, that's the kicker. That's the one. So, um, but it was between, Sweet Child of Mine Mm -hmm. and the one I actually chose. Because Sweet Child of Mine is just, I mean, I was a massive Guns N' Roses fan. Appetite of Destruction. I I mean, so I must have been 15 when I bought that. And I just thought I was the coolest thing ever. Um, But it was cinched by How Soon Is Now by the Smiths, because that that is just epic. And then Zoe Ball played it on the way here, and I whacked it right up on the A13. I was like, this is amazing. And I know is a twat, but we'll just we'll, we'll park that. Um, I remember going to Reading when he headlined. It was just after he put his first um, solo album out. And there were whisperings backstage. It was like, he's going to open with How Soon Is Now. He's going to be out front be be high be have come up on your pill by then or time it so that you might come up on your pill by then so we were all like absolutely buzzing for it and then we went out and it's just i can't remember who was playing guitar for him but it was just that do, 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 wah, wah. and the whole place went nuts and it was just it was amazing so
1: it's uh that's the one it's a absolutely incredible incredible intro um yeah, it's it's really strange. I mean I'm I'm well I'm obsessed. Like,
2: hey, ah, yeah, uh, like, <laughs> But don't you feel so let down by the absolute but Andy, my husband has a theory that a lot of these people, these absolute these wonderful musicians, would have turned into absolute tools. He thinks that John Lennon was a shoe-in for turning into an absolute twat.
1: Hundred percent.
2: And um Kirk Cobain very possibly could have mm. turned into a bit of a twat. So, you know, Obviously, we didn't want to lose them that early, but I'm glad we lost them before they turned into twats, if that was what was going to happen. Whereas Morrissey, it's just an embarrassment now, you know.
1: It breaks my heart. Mm. It's like... And and it's because everything that you thought he was... He wasn't. He wasn't. And it's like, when you're that angst-ridden teen, Morrissey is everything you need in your life. Yeah. And like... And then all of a sudden... He's
2: just a curmudgeon now, isn't he? He's, a, he's bloody out garnet. He
1: really is. And it, <laughs> it breaks my heart. It really does. And, you know, because... I mean, thank the gods for Johnny Marr. Because, I know. Uh,
2: who has always done fabulous things at, it, since then. And is, yeah, and is just an epic
1: human yeah. being as well. Um, yeah. has yeah. soon as now is my ringtone. Like, is it really? Not that people still have ringtones. I never have my phone on. like It's always on like quiet anyway. But it is... It is my ringtone and it is an absolutely monumental song. So with that in mind, when guests pick the Smiths, yeah. Which does happen quite a lot because yeah. they're the Smiths. Yeah. And when a lot of guests pick Michael Jackson, mm. um with that in mind, can you separate the music from the artist? Can you listen to smiths now um but not morrissey solo stuff
2: yeah i can listen i can but but what i tend to do is apportion it to ma i think so i think more of it as being ma heavy so i mean that riff is all him isn't it on how soon is now um so you can do i was never a michael jackson fan although i do can see the merits of off the wall you know is it is amazing um but I don't know. It's it's shades of darkness, though, isn't it? It's like if the if the rumours about Jacko are yeah. are true, then that's true darkness. Yeah. Morrissey is just a dirty, ignorant old man, you know, yeah. a horrible racist. But you know, that's that's hopefully about it. Just a curmudgeon. Yeah. Um, but if I found out that he was a pedo, yeah. I'd probably have problems listening yeah. to it. You, do you know what I mean? Just
1: it's I think. really weird. Just as a, as a DJ and. Um,
2: well, Radio 2 don't play Michael Jackson now, really, very much, unless it's like uh, yeah. at Tracks of My Years or something like that. Yeah. They, try not, they try not to. You don't hear him like
1: you used to. so weird. And it's the same with, with you know, when, uh, I mean, there was, the writing was on the wall with Morrissey. I know when, what was that, the track he put out? The National Front Disco, I think it was, like, mm. early doors. And there was lots of, and I was at the Madness gig when he came come out with the Union Jack, and there was all mm. kinds of, Stuff being sort of thrown out about him then, and you just mm. at that point I was like, oh, "Don't be stupid, it's Morrissey." I like, know. You know, he, he fights for well, us, and lot. also,
2: yeah, he was flying the flag for you know for b- troubled gay teens back yeah. in the eighties, wasn't he? It was like he was like he was making it okay to be gay,
1: absolutely. And so that's what I just think makes it so strange now. I know it's and, odd, and, uh, isn't it?
2: Maybe he's just having a joke on us all. Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? Because you know, Lemmy. Was uh, you know had Nazi memorabilia. He used to collect it, and for yeah. some reason that was okay.
1: Yeah,
2: it's weird, isn't it?
1: Yeah, maybe it's
2: because we always knew all along, and because he was a scary mofo.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's there's kind of that whole like if you look at the you know how people have made absolute legends out of you know people like um, Nikki Six and these people mm. from these kind of and, and Uh, like Motley Crue, and I've had Tommy on here, and he was delightful, but what them books allude to them doing...
2: Oh, with absolute denigration of women. Although, as a woman... I mean, because I was on that spandex. I mean, I was a little bit younger, so I wasn't on the L.A. kind of
1: yeah. hookers
2: and heroin scene yeah. necessarily that, you know, that you read about in the dirt. Yeah. I was, but I went to see Motley Crue and I was around a lot of those spandex rock bands and I never saw any misogyny. They were always so respectful. Really? Yep. I was, you know, nobody ever tried to take advantage of me. Nobody felt me up. Nobody asked me to take drugs with them. You never saw drug taking. There was a lot of Jack Daniels being drunk. There was a lot of leather being worn. Um, But there was, I mean, maybe it was just because I didn't actually meet Motley Crue. And by the time they toured, they were all sober. So that that, it all changed by then. Um, But I was really lucky. And I just think you have to be, I'm not saying that what, it was of its time. Yeah, it was strippers. It was it was pole dancers and yeah. and cocaine and all night sex parties and yeah. and the it was consensual. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say. And times have changed. You couldn't get away with what they wrote. The dirt, like yeah. when you read it, it's so shocking because we've come so far since sure. then. But it was of its time.
1: Yeah, and I think you know what you said. You experienced. The media aren't going to be interested in that, are they? They no. want. They want the dirt.
2: Yeah, like... I was um, on that scene, and I was like eighteen, nineteen, going to the limelight on a Wednesday for rock night, and I was always in the. Um, uh vip room I was behind you know behind the velvet rope i was really lucky and i was the most famous virgin in london and i remember john i remember john kolodna <laughs> who was aerosmith's producer saying oh so you're the virgin you know and and not one not what you'd think that that would be like throwing a gauntlet down yeah. no no one ever tried no one ever pushed no one ever cajoled no one ever felt me up nobody ever went go on you know nothing yeah. like that in fact, if anything, they were they were very respectful.
1: Right, we'll get on to clubbing. We'll get on to yeah. clubbing a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but first, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to take you back now, Sarah, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. It would have been an ABBA song. Okay.
2: Because um, I am a massive ABBA fan, but I also... Um, Was raised on Abba, so my best friend Celia. um, I used to go to her parents every. We used to have ploughmans every Saturday, and I spend the day with Celia, and they always played loads of Abba. But also, my parents divorced the first time when I was seven, and I think that must have been around the time of um, "Knowing Me, Knowing You," walking through an empty house, tears in my eyes. Well, I remember the house being empty because you know I was going with Mum, Dad was going off with somebody else, and and so they had a real emotional impact and continue to do so. Like, um, there's an Abba song called Move On, which is amazing. If you listen to the words now, they're quite, excuse me, they're quite indicative of what we've all just been through. Like a roller in the ocean, life is motion, move on. Um, It's just amazing. And then, obviously, I mean, you are a father of two girls, right? And I have a daughter. And slipping through my fingers is impossible to listen to without crying when you have a girl. You know, so, and there's Winner Takes It All, all of those, just all of, and I think they must all be in a minor key, but I just think Benny and Bjorn had a way of, of just tapping into, like, um, Happy New Year's, another one, can't listen to that every Christmas without crying, so all of those Abba songs still, even now, will make me cry if I listen to you. So you're not
1: picking one, you're just literally picking all of the Abba songs? Um,
2: I could probably, I should think probably Knowing Me, Knowing You, which really reminds me of my parents divorcing, which actually I was okay with. But, um, you know, I mean, it's never it's never going to be a wonderful thing, is it? Yeah. But I remember it's just that line walking through an empty house and I can remember the house. You know, I remember everything being out of the house and it just being echoey and weird. Yeah. And it was like right, that, Well, that that's that's family life done then. You're seven. That's it.
1: <laughs> it's moving
2: on to something new.
1: <laughs> so where was the house? Where was home?
2: Um, in a village called Castor, which is near Peterborough. And Peterborough is, um, it has lovely bits, it has nasty bits, uh, but the surrounding countryside's really nice. And I went to school, uh, I went to uh, Stanford High School for Girls, darling, um, in Stanford, and Stanford looks like a baby bath. I mean, it's such a picturesque little Georgian town. Um, And I was born and raised around there. But moved to London when I was 17 to go to the Royal Ballet School and then lived in London till
0: more
2: than anywhere else.
1: And then formative years to to sort of 16, like, happy place to grow up?
2: Yes, it really was. And I loved school and I was very studious. And like I said, I was never really affected by my parents splitting up. They remarried when I was 11, which is mortifying oh,
1: re- remarried. Oh, right.
2: each other. Yeah. I was like, I had to go to the wedding. And it was like, <laughs> cause they were all like cooing over each other. I was like, Bleh. it's like walking on and your parents having sex. Do you know what I mean? You just never quite get over it. And then divorced again when I was 19, by which time I'd left home and I really couldn't have given two fucks. What was going on yeah. in their marriage? I had my own shit to deal with. by yeah. then, so.
1: Well, you, you just touched on school then. So let's, let's, um, talk about track three. Um, just quickly, Angel Eyes by Abba will break oh, I every love. time I hear and it. And
2: Under Attack. Oh. And they used always, like, the men that I was crushing on, until I met my husband, it was always Under Attack and Angel Eyes. There's one particular guy that those two, two songs really remind me of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so School. Yeah. Um, tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Sarah. The
2: song that... Oh, <laughs> um, there are two. Okay. So I'll give you the runner-up All first, right. uh, Living on a Prayer. Of course. Because we all used to get on the dance floor and it just was like all of us holding hands, arms aloft. And Never Say Goodbye as well became yeah. a little bit, because it was Never Say Goodbye when we left mm. school. I think it was when we, well, the girls went on to sixth form, but I left to go to Royals. So Never Say Goodbye was just before yeah. that. And it does what it says on the can. It was like, let's, let's never say goodbye. Um, but the other one is Stand By Me. Perfect. Because the film came out, and I can even quote you the last line. It says, um, I'll never have friends like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? School days. I know, I know. And I can't, often, when he does that at the end, it always makes me cry. I'm like, oh, I love that film. So stand by me. Although I can't watch the puking scene. Even now, the pie eating. (laughs) Can't watch that. I have to go, I have to leave the room. Tell me when it's finished. It makes me feel so ill.
1: They're one of them ones that. I've sat with my kids and gone, right, okay, so we're going to, today we're going to do Breakfast Club.
2: It's a right, oh, I love it's the like... Breakfast Club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they're just like, they're watching and just like, eh. And I'm like, no. They <laughs> might,
2: you know, it might come in yeah. time. You might find, because I think, I don't think, yeah, maybe in their tw- or, or it'll take for a, a boyfriend or someone yeah. to say, what? Your dad showed you the Breakfast Club and it didn't blow your tiny yeah. mind. I oh, know. And so maybe that will happen. But. That,
1: that period around them, of Benny King and, and Stand By Me, so that would have been, I think, maybe 87. Yeah, I mean, it was a
2: jeans advert, wasn't it? So, this is the thing mm-hmm. it was like it was the 501 advert.
1: We saw that year Percy Sledge re released mm-hmm. When a Man Loves a Woman, um, because of obviously, um, Nick Kamen, We got, um, yeah, Marvin
2: Gaye, heard it Through the Grapevine,
1: and um, I think Wonderful World Sam Cooke was a yep. 501 advert, yeah. It just seemed to be Jackie Wilson re-released Reap-teet, Reap-teet, Yeah, that went feeling. to number one didn't yeah. it? Yeah It was just a big sort of re-release of all of these kind yeah. of iconic records and but I mean I can still picture River Phoenix.
2: <gasps> I loved him. Like, I cried River. so much when Mum rang me and told me he died. And I listened to a podcast the other day. I don't know if you've listened to um well Disgrace Land. You must have listened to Disgraceland. No. <gasps> You'd love it, do? It's basically um it's by an American called Jake Brennan and he does he does the podcast, it's a bit like an audiobook, so mm-hmm. it's but he'll it's all rock stars that have disgraced themselves. So it's all you know, like um Motley Crue, obviously the story of Motley Crue. I can't think of him, but the latest one he He's done is called Hollywood Land, right. and the first one was um, River Phoenix, and the second one was Marilyn. So I've just listened to those two. So that's all the ho- what the Hollywood sticky ends. And then so he, uh, Disgrace Land, he did two parter on Kurt and Courtney. Um, he's done, I mean, know me some, oh, Sid, obviously, Sid and yeah. Nancy, he did them. So it's called Disgrace Land, and it's just. Great, really great storytelling. Oh,
1: I am all over yeah, that. Yeah, it's
2: really good. And, and he did one, and I won't tell you why I felt I had to DM him, but he did one on John Denver, mm-hmm. and the supposed rumour that Dom, John Denver had something to do with JFK assassination, you have to listen to the John Denver episode. And then um, I, I felt afterwards, I can't give anything away, because it's a massive spoiler, but at the end I actually had to DM Jake, and he did get back to me. I was like, oh, my, but his storytelling is wonderful. He writes it all and he scores it all, and it's really, really clever.
1: Was John Denver a bit of a racist?
2: Uh, I, I remember, like, possibly. I mean, he was in because he was. They reckon they basically reckon that he was um, a sniper for the army. And they reckon that he had something to do with JFK's day. Honestly, if you Google John Denver Sniper, it will come up. In, it's like all of those conspiracy theories, it will oh, come up.
1: How do I not know this? I am all over Well, I this. didn't
2: until I listened to this episode of Disgraceland, but, yeah. he's, but they're, they're absolutely brilliant. And there's lo- obviously, there's loads of rappers on there as well mm. because Trouble just follows them around. Mm. And uh, so he, d- he does um, Snoop Dogg and uh, Biggie Smalls, all of that. It's, yeah. Honestly, it's such a great podcast.
1: Benny King, I mean, that song is just different level beautiful as well. And yeah. just picturing him, like, River and, and, and Benny King at the end, they're just dancing together, aren't they? Yeah. And they're all kind of sort of, there's like, kind of like an audience in the video, isn't there? And they yeah. shots from the filming and, like, uh, to, to, to Benny King and, and, and River and I can't think what the actor's name was. Will Wheaton. Like, yes. Like, ah. Oh. Mm. God, what a film.
2: And Kiefer Sutherland giving it Best Nasty Guy, oh, isn't it? Yeah. It's man. just like, And it also, it is hot, sticky summers playing yeah. on the streets with your friends, and that never yeah. gets old, you know? Yeah. I'm sure that even my kids will have hot, sticky summer memories, yeah. you know?
1: You don't want to be walking down the railway lines at Leon or West Fifth to see a dead body, though, do you?
2: No, although it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if there was one down there, do you know what I mean?
1: Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor. Egg Fried it's this super cool clothing label and if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of asian culture and and the designers kind of weird sense of humor in the mix then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now. They do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints. As well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting in the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D. Save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of Egg Fried. Also, they've got a new kids range it's called small fried and it's super cool super cute um and again it's all over there in this wonderful world go and get involved at eggfried.com well, well tell me about school um you said you were studious um but you also mentioned that you then went to the London School of Ballet yeah so throughout school well, first of all then what did you want to be when you was at school famous
2: isn't that it's really
1: sad because I
2: but but I hate that because I was like like reality shows like these days kids they don't want to have a craft they just somehow want to get famous so they'll just be on TOWIE or whatever and I always feel like you know be famous for something but I've got a rough book where it says you know one of my friends had written a load of what do you want to be oh I think it might be in our yearbook and I say I want to be famous but I was doing ballet and I decided that was the medium by which I was going to be famous. Now, I was never going to be Margot Fontaine. I was quite an average ballet dancer, so how the fuck I thought it would make me famous is beyond me. But I loved it. And I guess I meant maybe I meant famous in that I would just get to go on a stage and yeah. perform, which I did do. I was a professional dancer for a while. Um,
1: was you confident? Yeah,
2: I've always been pretty confident. I was very lucky. And actually, when I got kicked out of the Royal Ballet School, Dame Merle Park, who was the, the headmistress there, she went, I see you on television, Sarah. And I was furious with her um, for being right when I eventually ended up on TV. Yeah. I was like, she was fucking right when I was
1: 18. <laughs> that bitch would have
2: kicked me out of her school, broke my heart and was right.
1: Why did you get kicked out? Because I wasn't good enough. Oh, right.
2: Yeah, and, but, like yeah it was. You It used to be called an assessment and they'd work out whether you were sort of had staying power or not but by that time I'd discovered spandex rock so yeah. I was cutting school to go and see Skid Row the choir boys you know all of those bands and also um the Royal Ballet School back then was just about a 10 minute walk from the Hammersmith Odeon so I'd yeah. go Svelly uh, would come in my Katia Svely I'd horrible Czech um ballet teacher, she'd swear at me and tell me I was shit and tell me to get out of class. So I would, I'd go, and I'd walk down the road and go and hang around outside stage door and go and have a chat with the choir boys.
1: <laughs> it's far more interesting. It's like more fun to me. Um, ballet, um, especially at the level that you was dancing at, is ridiculously competitive.
2: Oh, it really is, yeah.
1: And you then moved into the world of television, which yeah. is ridiculously uh-huh. Competitive. How driven would you say you are?
2: Well, obviously I must have been, but I don't feel like it. And I hate the disappointment. You know, it's like, it's horrible. I've had my heart broken by things, not people. By people too. But ballet broke my heart. Being kicked out of Royal was devastating. The, when I got in, it was like this huge celebration. And a year later, I had to go back to all those people I'd left school to go to Royal with and go... I just got kicked out. And then go, I, I went to Arts Ed, which was just down the road and was a fantastic school. So that was a really good move for me. But, um, and then obviously, telly, your flavor of the month, and then you're not, and then you are, and then you're not. And that was really brutal as well. But I just think, you know, honestly, Stu, I was quite lucky. I think I was mismanaged by, in telly. I, think, I don't think I ever had, my agents were all lovely. But, and actually, it might have been. I'm the one that says yes or no to things. But I went out with one of the Blue Tones for a long time and um, Adam, was ne- the guitarist, was never comfortable with me doing lads mag shoots and Mark, the lead singer, said that he would never speak to me again if I did one. So I was too terrified to do the loaded, the, 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 the GQ, all of those. Cat Dealey was doing them, Zoe Ball was doing them, Sarah Cox was doing them, Lisa Snowden was doing them. They've all still got careers because their profiles as a result of being those you know, beautiful girls, on ladettes, but, you know, get the tits out happily, and, you know, look at Gail as well. I mean, how famous was she after the FHM thing? Um, And I didn't do it, so I sort of missed that boat a little bit, Mm. and so I don't think I ever quite had the profile that those girls had. And so, yeah, perhaps didn't reach the dizzying heights that they did, but I do genuinely think that all things happen for a reason, and Mm. I'm happier now than I've ever been, and I sell bloody scented wax. Do you know what I mean? So... That's, Go figure.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and that's not cool. That the person he was with. You oh,
2: know. he was just. Oh, he wasn't. He wasn't controlling at all. He was lovely. He just didn't like the idea of other men looking at my tits, yeah. which is fine. But it was Mark that was like the real. But he's the boss of that band. Always yeah. was. He was like, you know, yeah. It was. I mean, it wasn't his band. But I, you know, we did what we basically did what Mark said. So you know, yeah. he was like, oh, I'll never speak to you again. And I didn't want that sort of bad feeling. And actually in in their defense it was all, it was up to me as well and I remember thinking that in order to quantify it I remember thinking that I was uh, clearly a much better person than, than all those other girls because I wasn't getting my tits out to get ahead yeah. you know but actually now I just think it's not you know it's actually not that simple I don't nobody was hiring Kat Deely just because she was all over the lads mag shoot covers yeah. they were hiring her because she was good at her job as well yeah and, um, and she was doing it on her terms, but I remember thinking that you know I was a bit more feminist than they were because I refused to do it. And then, of course, when Adam and I split up, I did. Mm. I went straight to um, loaded. away. go on then. <laughs> Have them. <laughs> Let's do this. Where's the good underwear? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, how did you get into telly? What was the sort of transition point from? I got of-
2: spotted. Archive. In a dance audition by right. somebody who worked at Nickelodeon, by David Rose, who was the head of live at Nickelodeon. And I was dancing, I was auditioning for a dance agency, the kind of um, uh, agency that hired dancers for Boyzone and Take That and yeah. what have you. Um, so I was doing that and uh, David's wife, Kathy, spotted me and, and they asked me in for a screen test and I got a job there in 94. Okay. just come out of Phantom of the Opera um, and yeah, it was so anarchic. I was, it was just brilliant. There were about six Nikolai presenters. We were in the Chocadero, in a little studio in the Chocadero, not dissimilar from this, but glass, you know, yeah. um, and it was just wonderful. Then we moved and that's obviously Viacom owned, MTV owned. So then we moved, um, to big premises and it got a bit bigger. And then I got poached by John Narr management, poached me from my then agent, who was quite a small agent and got me auditioned for the girly show. And the rest, as they say, <laughs> well,
1: so. just t- tell me about like if you're happy to talk about that yeah like how how was that point at that time, because so many people um you know that I've spoke to that were in bands from from you know from that time mm. and and I was you know we're the same age, yeah. and I was d j and I was in bands at that yeah. point, and it it did feel for, personally speaking it felt like a really good time. And oh, when you see wonderful. documentaries, they always paint it as this moment for a couple of years where it was the Euros and, oh. uh, but it, it was. It really
2: was. I know. And I, I, we must annoy people waxing lyrical about it. In fact, Fern's doing a special Sounds of the 90s on Radio 2 on 1996. Yes. And I just have, I mean, it was there was always drama. There was always a drama. I mean, Coxie nicked off with my boyfriend Well, when we were doing the girly show together. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But she did me a favour because I ended up then meeting Adam, yeah. you know, Adam Devlin, and going out with Adam for six and a half years. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was fine. It, the, the atmosphere on set wasn't wonderful for a few weeks um but it was it was really good times and they were really kind of wonderful i mean god the amount of drugs i took is awful. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous but even that when you look back doesn't there was nothing sleazy about it because everybody yeah. was doing it yeah. and we were all off our faces on pills in fields um and it was just a really quite an innocent lovely time well they say that 1987 was the second summer of love mm-hmm. don't they and i just think so right from from that kind of line in the sand then right through till you know 97 mm-hmm. similar sort of thing it was all good times good music good vibes um you know great britain was amazing liam and patsy were in bed covered by a union jack on the cover of gq and we were
1: happy yeah it, it do you know what it, and, and it, the
2: sun seemed to shine every single day, didn't it? That sure summer, sure it didn't,
1: but uh, it did. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it was just um, a, a very, very strange time. And, and how did you, Sarah, the girl that wanted to be famous, mm-hmm. when she was famous? How did that deliver what you wanted it to?
2: I don't think I took much notice, <laughs> to be honest. I was so happy, like just you well, know, I was answer, in lo- yeah, I was in love. It was it was just but. Yeah, it was... I don't think I ever went, oh, I've done it. And yeah. I never... And, but I, I've always been, and this is going to sound really arrogant, it's not meant to, but I've always been quite down-to-earth about it. Like, people will go... Occasionally, back then, people would be like, oh, my God, Sarah Cambridge, you're amazing! And I'd be like, I'm really not. I'm just dead normal like you. Um, and I thought it was really important to just not have a fucking ego. Can't bear it when famous people get yeah. above themselves. It really pisses me off. And um And so... And that probably... Didn't help me staying famous because, um, as on the the Velvet Goldmine poster, the tagline for the movie is "The secret to becoming a star is knowing how to behave like one." Yeah. And I never behaved like one. I just behaved like, I, I never, I never used to notice people recognising me in the street. If people did come up, I always used to like, I give them a cuddle. I'd be like, "Oh, give us a hug," you know. I was always very approachable and dead normal. Really, yeah. I did. I was uncomfortable with feeling i was better than other people that really so that's why that's the bit of fame i didn't quite agree with was that you you kind of have this perception of of somehow being other or yeah. better than man on the street and i don't think that's true
1: a lot of people everyone get that of those, shit
2: stinks do yeah. everyone shit stinks
1: completely <laughs> Well, last song for the, the sort of formative years. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you, please, um, to tell me the song. In, um, sorry, the song, the first song you bought from a record. School. Oh
2: God, this is really embarrassing. It has
1: got to be. No <laughs> one was calling. Her, really.
2: Um, it was now those days are gone by Bucks Fizz.
1: Oh, I bloody love Bucks Fizz. Fucking hell! Oh, it's in the room next door. I want to show. You. I've got a Bucks Fizz mug.
2: Wow. <laughs> I did um, Total Wipeout with Cheryl, and, and now we're Facebook friends, and I know her real name's Rita. And it was honestly, I, I, pr- I got drunk one night in Buenos Aires. You told me
1: that her real name's Rita. Her real
2: name's Rita. She doesn't make a secret of it. Oh. Yeah, she changed it.
1: I literally...
2: She's wonderful. Had Sherry's. Jay
1: Aston lined up to do this, and she got COVID. Um, oh,
2: bless her. Because she, she had cancer, didn't mm. she, as well?
1: yeah. Oh, you've got... nothing embarrassing about the fish. Oh,
2: no, I love it. And because I... So, 81, Eurovision, May. So, I was just shy of my ninth birthday. Um, and then, now those days are gone. Must have been a year, 18 months, maybe even two yeah, years later. So, yeah. um, but I love them. I've got, are you ready... Um, I've got um, I've got loads of singles, but I've Land got the Mate two. Believe. I've got la- I bought Land of sure. Make Believe as well. Yeah. Oh my god, I love them. Um, my, camera, uh, uh, my camera never, never lies anymore. When I had a massive crush on Mike Nolan, he was probably my first. They both ever had crush.
1: brilliant hair. I always wanted hair like them. It was like proper like. Yeah. You do Well, people don't have hair like that anymore. But it was like that's such
2: cool hair. And it was like proper Lego hair, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But it was also going back to my friend Celia that I mentioned earlier. So this was the Saturday spent at Celia's house with her family, and I was like their kind of third daughter. There was Victoria and Celia and I, and we were. Um, I think looking back, it was when my parents were separating. So I think Judy and John were sort of doing my mum a turn by yeah. saying, well, "We'll have Sarah." And I just didn't notice that that was the way it was. But I was always round there, and I used to make poor Celia wear. Where the, we had kilts with that used to do up at the side and I used to, we'd, we'd do them very loosely and I always used and I had ballet skirt on underneath and I used to make herbie Mike or Bobby and rip the skirt off me.
1: Did you share a lot Johnny.
2: Uh, always Cheryl always. always Cheryl um and uh and uh, I actually messaged her at you because obviously you see all the clips around Eurovision time and this year i WhatsApped her she's in Australia now and when I'm listening to I'm making your mind up and I'm I'm really I said I'm really sorry I made you be Michael Bobby I feel really bad about it now <laughs> and she just messaged back and went yay yeah, bloody bitch she was like I too in Australia I'm having a moment so it was really nice because we never yeah. speak anymore but you know, just to know that she had those really nice memories too was lovely.
1: I think, like, the the, the impact of, like, Buck's fears on, on people of our age is undeniable. And, like, and I'm not suggesting they're radioed for a second, right, but... Eurovision was like the biggest thing on the fucking planet then. Oh
2: and my, I, my brother was babysitting mm. and he, wouldn't, he sent me to bed when the results were coming in. Yeah. But I remember creeping down and looking around the corner. And then, so I saw them win and he didn't realise that I had. And then I was upstairs jumping up and down in my bed and going yeah. nuts. And he was coming up and going, get to bed. I was like, we won! Yes! And I was just, because they were just, I mean, they I, the amount of kids that must have just loved yeah. them. They were like a UK ABBA
1: for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Absolutely, they. Uh, my my leavers disco from my junior school. The second to last track was Land of Make Believe.
2: Yeah.
1: And I remember like just dancing and thinking, well, I'm. I'm like, all the girls were crying, and I was thinking, like, see, I'm, I think I'm going to cry. And I was thinking, don't cry, like, because none of the boys were crying, but I was thinking, I really want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> And then they put on Star Maker by the Kinks.
2: Oh fame. God, and Lights Out London. Game
1: not that. over, that was it. Like last song of the night, Star Maker by the kitchen and <laughs> Faith. Ah, bits, mate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so like, I remember. I've still got. I've still got that seven-inch home. Oh,
1: what a track. Yeah, what a track.
2: And they're all they're all dressed in like yeah, like not Victorian garb. I think it's like Edwardian or something mm. on the cover. They've got like parasols, and the girls look amazing. I can see that. seven so, and it got played to death
1: oh wonderful I'm glad I'm not alone there (laughs) Um, okay so let's move forwards uh, and for track five I'm going to ask you please tell me does someone remind you of your time clubbing
2: um, in Spiral Carpet, satin 5. Ah,
1: oh, You know sure. why? I high-five that one.
2: Yes, every time. i tell you for why. We used to go to Smashing. Yeah. So, I met, um, I met my, I've got some really good friends. I hardly see them anymore, but they were mates with, mainly, well, um, mainly with Graham Coxon, but they were mates with menswear. And I met them at the Reading Festival, because I'd had a falling out with a friend of mine who'd literally left me on my own at Reading, but I had backstage passes and it was back in those heady days that we were talking about earlier i just got chatting to reps in the bar at the ramada hotel like later on up when after the festival finished we all head back to the ramada and she was with simon white the guitarist in menswear and we got chatting and they really took me under their wing and then this was pre-mobile phones i remember them ringing my landline the next week and saying menswear no, Retz, this is right. their friends. So there was Retz, Henrietta, Retz, Bacall, Nikki, and Gracie and um, and Lily. And Retz rang and went, we're all going to the mixer because I lived in Camden. Do you want to come down and, and meet us this Friday? So I went down. It was a hot summer's evening. Everyone's on the street outside. Simon was there and we had a bit of a flirtation and I met Bacall for the first time. And it was just... Wonderful, And then, so those girls then took me into the Britpop scene. Um, so I'd come from sort of grunge and all of that, and I moved seamlessly into the Britpop scene, which was wonderful. Being in Camden at that time was magical. And we used to go to smashing um, every... God, I don't even know what day of the day of the week Chew it was. Something. Was it Tuesday? Yeah. Anyway, we were always there. But wherever, whatever we were doing, whatever drugs we were taking, the toilet, whatever person we were chatting up, if Saturn Five came on, we would go meet on the dance on that dance floor, the Pulp dance floor yeah. that's in Disco 2000 because that's where yeah. that video was shot, and they're all in that video yeah. as well, all of those girls. And um, we'd all just converge on each other, just throw our arms around each other, and then three minutes of sheer bliss. Oh, Saturn Five. What,
1: what <laughs> <coughs> it's really weird because. You know Johnny and Chris are from round here? Really? From Men's Yes,
2: I did <clears throat> know that. I did know that, yeah. So
1: I knew, I knew Chris. Chris was in, like, in the grunge era. Chris yeah. was in a band called Smearing. Ethics. he had this long red hair. Uh-huh. And then, like, I didn't see him for, like... He, he said, oh, I'm moving to London with Johnny... And I didn't see him. And then all of a sudden, I opened Select Magazine, and there he was, Ace Face Mod on a scooter, and I'm "I like, know." I wanted
2: they like, used to call them the <clears throat> Indie Take That, didn't they? Sky Magazine, I think, called them the Indie Take That.
1: So I'm going to tell you my Britpop story, right? Yeah. And uh, and it was outside the Good Mixer. I'd gone down there to we we'd gone to watch the Cardigans at Dingwalls.
2: Awesome. <laughs> I bet we were all the same gigs Stu.
1: <laughs> and then I went to the Mixer, because you went to the mixer for a of beer. Of course, you did. And I was outside, and it was the night that Blur had done Top of the Pops for Country House. Uh-huh. And, and I see Chris. And so I was chatting to Chris, and at the time I had peroxide blonde uh-huh. out And these hands come over my eyes from behind me. Uh-huh. And this bloke kissed me and thought I was Robbie Williams. Uh-huh. And so I just kind of pushed this guy off, and it was an absolutely fucking wrecked Graham Coxon. ha <laughs> <laughs> ha and then I was just like, fucking hell, it's Graham Coxon. So I was, like, superstar struck. And, uh, and then ended up, like, having a, a drink with Graham Coxon. I was like, this is mad, because he was friends with Chris. And... Yeah,
2: well, that's because he was the one of... Blur. I never saw the other members of Blur. We used to come, Alex used to drink occasionally where we used to drink. But it was always Graham and menswear and yeah, us. And that, yeah. that was our little unit. It was lovely, because um, um, Graham lived around the corner from my friend Bacall. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really, really nice time. I love Grey.
1: So it gets more Britpop. Really? Yeah, it's... uh, It's not even
2: peak Britpop yet.
1: (laughs) No. So on the way home, we drive past Food Records. Uh huh. And outside Food Records was this, like, A-frame for sale sign Mm -hmm. saying for sale, blur, country house. Like, they've done Mm -hmm. this promo thing, right at the top of the building. So my mate drove his car onto the pavement, and I got on, he got on the roof, and I got on his shoulders, and I ripped it off the (gasps) building. Epic. <clears throat> we cut it in half because there was two. Yeah. He had one. I had one. That Saturday, watching the chart show,
2: uh-huh.
1: Country House number one. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. He used to put a little sorts of facts halfway yes. through the song. Yes. And it come up that the for sale sign had being stolen from the food record builders. I was sitting in my room. I was going, what am I <laughs> a- yes, that's the
2: equivalent. That's a Britpop equivalent of stealing a <laughs> bloody traffic <laughs> cone when you're a student, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Andy Ross would be awesome on this. Oh, you should get you know him what? on. He'd he's, be great, wouldn't he's he? He's such a lovely man as well. I've got a lo- lot of time for Andy. It, so. it was
1: really weird because he had a show on Boogaloo Radio. And I had yeah, because
2: I was a guest on that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. In fact, when I walked in here, I was like, I think I said to you this reminds me of An- of Andy Ross's little ah. get-up. It's re- At the back of the Boogaloo, it's really yeah. similar to this.
1: Because McGee's on there. I had I went on, uh, yeah. Alan come on and he was just... For me, of of that era, speaking to Alan McGee, it would be the same speaking to Andrew Ross. It was just like they were the people that you'd hope to see in the mixer. when when you got your demo tape on Yeah, please have a listen.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part?
1: uh, Brilliant! All right, well, look, I'm going to I'm going to take you home for track six, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask you please to tell me um, your favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
2: Um, Now you see. this Essex is not my home county, okay. but I'm going to say that it is because okay. I because I, it is now. This is okay. home, this is where I'm raising my children. And I'm gonna go because me and Andy had to discuss this last night because I think we're very spoilt for choice with Essex, you really, like you really are. which is part of the reason why I ditched Cambridgeshire. Because okay. I don't have a fucking clue who's from Cambridgeshire or from Peterborough. Oh, erasure, I think that's probably about all we've got in our locker. So I'm well, gonna go I, Essex, but
1: yeah, one half of erasure... Yeah, one a half from Essex. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> oh, so then I feel even
2: better about my decision to say Depeche Mode oh. and enjoy the silence, yeah. which is just...
1: Perfection. Yeah,
2: I absolutely love it. And I just think... I didn't even know that they were from Essex until my blummer, Andy came round recently and, and... Well, not recently, I think it was a couple of years ago. He's like, oh, you know that they used to drink in the same pub as me in Bezzledon. And I was like, what? So he said, oh, yeah, I saw them when there was about three men and his dog in there. And I was like, this is amazing!
1: Go on YouTube and put Depeche Mode Pink Toothbrush and you can watch him on there playing at the brush.
2: Amazing. They were a resident
1: band. So, uh, when
2: that's, like, that's better than The Doors being the resident band at the whiskey, isn't it? it?
1: Yeah, there's some really mad footage. Uh, Danny Baker was down there for the 6 o'clock show
2: uh-huh. and he's
1: interviewing Depeche Mode. At the time, the brush was called Crocs right? because uh, we had a crocodile in the club. Uh-huh. and the crocodiles walking about the dance floor <laughs> and Danny Baker's there looking a little bit sheepish, but oh, depression Mode, they're like...
2: Yeah, because obviously you are spoilt for choice because you've got Blur down the road in Colchester and, I mean, there's loads, isn't there? Aren't, not, I've, why do I want to say... Uh, the horrors? Aren't the horrors, horrors from round here as Certainly. well? Yeah? Um, so the, yeah, bloody loads, but I just think it's particularly that song. Because I'm not—I don't have—I don't think I ha- possess a Depeche Mode LP, mm-hmm. but I love "Enjoy the Silence." I love it. I think it's such a beautiful tune. Yeah. So, yeah, so they it's... should do Dave Garn on Disgrace because that's a checkered story, <sighs> isn't it?
1: Mate, I saw. Didn't he
2: nearly die about three times?
1: He said that again. You're picking great songs. They're, they're one of my most loved bands. Yeah. I absolutely adore that band, and I saw them at Crystal Palace. Um, athletics grand, around, around the time of, like, I feel you and walk like,
2: Mm.
1: when Dave come back as rock star, with, like, long hair tattoos, and I was reading some stuff about him, tour support was Primal Screen, that's
2: not going to help. Oh, Jesus, can you imagine the rider backstage, (laughs) don't give us food, if I can snort it, or inject it, I want it on the rider.
1: (laughs) Apparently he was, speedballs were his thing. yeah. And, like, that, cost people so well, weren't they? Yeah,
2: that's what killed River Phoenix as well. Yeah. Mm.
1: And, he and John Belushi. Oh, Belushi, wasn't As mm-hmm. well, yeah. And apparently he had a throne backstage. And the minute he walked off stage, he'd sit in this throne and would, like, literally just get, like, fucked up. And then <gasps> I remember reading that someone had found him, like, naked with just a gun like, passed out on their garden where he'd just gone to score something and had just been beaten up and whatever. Uh, and so he got in a bit of a mess. Yeah. And like,
2: I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm not condoning... Any of this sort of behaviour, but you just don't hear those kind of rock and roll stories anymore, do you? No. Andy always jokes. My husband always jokes that, that, that the kids in bands these days, or so or, you know, in twenty years they'll have a conversation and go, "God, do you remember that summer of twenty twenty one when all we did was juice raw fruit? <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> God, we were wasted on raw fruit, you know, because they just they just they don't <laughs> yeah. drink, they don't taste. And, and I'm not saying there's anything mm. bad with that, but. Can't it's can be happy medium? I the odd the odd little rock star story is quite. I mean Pete Doherty, total casualty. I don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe not that far, but
1: I I do think it's quite strange. And I mean, it it, it is weird. Like I um I'd never been to Ibiza uh, until about four years ago, mm. and and when I got there, I was hoping for some really incredible bohemian experience, mm. and what I got was, I, what felt to me was just a whole lot of people that were considerably more younger than me, that's probably the issue that I actually had, but um, that looked like they hadn't had a drink all year because they'd been in the gym just for this five days where they can stand by a pool, not get in it in case they get their hair wet, and just stand there. And I just think I'm much more happy that I was buying two bottles of wine for a fiver and throwing it up in the doorway somewhere and, and just having some fun. And... But I, I guess the
2: pendulum it, always swings, though. That's what my dad always says. So yeah. I, we'll, we'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll come back in another 10 years and do yeah. this again, uh, Stu. I looked at my watch like it was going to tell me what the year will be in 10 years. <laughs> and, um, and and we'll probably be discussing some, yeah. you know, colourful rock star death. Because the pendulum always swings. There'll always be one.
1: <laughs> oh, I've seen Depeche Mode a lot. And I've never seen him as good as when he was out of his mind. <laughs>
2: I'm sure the same could be said of the well I say the Doors but then they were equally awful as well weren't they
1: he was just an absolute rock god when I saw him fit fit as fuck as well oh so cool yeah so cool and like and I've seen them since he's been clean and they've always they're they're an incredible live band but it weren't that yeah and like and still one of my favourite of the gigs I saw oh he's an absolute dude and yeah, they've been on the list and I've, I've reached out loads. Like Any of them, it was like, I'd love to uh, love to have a chat with them and, and just be able to talk about what it was like in my club before yeah, I was there. Yeah, How was that new romantic time? You'll
2: get them one day.
1: Fingers crossed. Consistency
2: Fingers crossed. is key, keep asking.
1: <laughs> um, okay, so for your last track, you play Tastemaker now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to ask you to tell me a song that many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please.
2: This is a tastemaker. So I wasn't sure whether I understood the question. Is this just something that might surprise you that I would like? Or something that I think people should know about?
1: A bit of both, I guess.
2: God, that's really hard. I just default always these days to first aid kit. I absolutely love them. And so I just, I mean, because when it was like, what might people be surprised that you listen to, I was... I was going to go S Club Seven because I fucking love S Club Seven. Honestly, re- uh, like Reach and um, Don't Stop Moving, which has an epic, obviously, Billy Jean riff. And they're such wonderful, stupid yeah. pop songs and really feel good. Uh, but then, if it's a tastemaker and let's let, they, they, they're not, I'm not going to taste make with S mm-hmm. Club Seven, am I? So I would go First Aid Kit because I just think that blend, A, they're Swedish and they sound like they're from somewhere in California, do you know what I mean? And I love the way that they have that um, sibling... Harmony. I remember talking to Mark and Scott, the bass player and the singer of the Blue Tones, and saying, Why do I love you singing together so much? And, and I think it was Scott that said, It's genetic harmony in it, Kaywood. <laughs> genetic harmony, you know. So it's because they have s- a similar genetic yeah. code in their voice. And so it sounds lovely. And the girls in First Aid Kit are the same. Like, I just, I've always loved West Coast rock. And they've mm. just recreated it brilliantly oh, so for the good. 21st century. It's gorgeous. I mean, I'm obsessed with you know, like the birds and the animals and all of those sorts of bands, Jefferson Airplanes, so they came yeah. along. And, I, and the Eagles, I know it's embarrassing because they were essentially yeah. a supergroup, but I love them. Saw them with my dad at Wembley a couple of years ago. Oh, nice. God, the whole of the stadium cried when they played Take It To The Limit. Honestly, there was not a dry house. It was amazing. It was just, yeah. And I love that vibe, that West Coast, yeah. jangly, hippie, hot summer's you, day, um, long maxi skirt vibe.
1: Did you go to Cliffs and see Brian Wilson?
2: No, I've never seen Brian Wilson. I'd love to see Brian Wilson. That was another one when the lights went down. He sat at the piano and played. (sighs) Which I walked down the aisle to. Played on a string quartet.
1: Yeah, that's a moment.
2: Yeah, it was. Made Holly Willoughby cry. (laughs) (laughs) It was lovely. um,
1: First Aid Kit. Have you seen them, it's, it's on YouTube, playing for Paul Simon, singing... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel's America
2: I've heard that I've heard that version but I haven't seen the clip on YouTube so I should look that up this Making afternoon cry. It's
1: does it really hard. unreal it's also unreal.
2: I fucking love the Swedes yeah I love the Scandos I've got such a crush on them if I thought I could I would move my family to somewhere in Scandinavia yeah. And I've been loads because of the covering the Eurovision semi-finals, yeah. um, and so Finland, which was quite Russian, and then Denmark was lovely. Um, nor and Norway, yeah. Norway's quite boring but very clean, and it yeah. was Sweden was the one for me. I spent a week there on a travel show as well, and I was like, oh, I really like this place. Yeah. And I just and the Wanna dies were friends of ours in the Britpop years uh, as well. So what per- a pop. Band. And when I went over to do this travel program for the Travel Channel, Per and Christina had me round for dinner one night, what and are it they was. Doing? I don't know, actually. I mean, living off the royalties of "You and Me" song, I don't know. One of my beautiful records ever
1: written. I
2: think Pear might be. a... I think he might write for Swedish artists. Right. That's uh, that's only a guess, but I have a feeling because when I did Eurovision, and um, one of the, I think the Swedish entry was um, was a favourite to win, and I did it win that year. I can't remember. This was like in the mid-noughties um, and mid to late noughties, and um, Pear was mates with. with the artist and they were sort of on the Swedish songwriting scene. So if I didn't know better, I'd think that that's what he was doing because they've just got away with pop, haven't they? Oh,
1: cardigans.
2: Yeah, I I know. Nina Pearson. Oh, Adam Devlin from the Blue Tones used to have a bit of a crush. I was like... "Mm." You'd be a bit jealous about Nina
1: Pearson. <laughs> it was
2: those fucking dimples. <laughs> In fact, I was so fascinated, I Googled her recently to see how well, how well she's
1: aged. Mm.
2: And she, well, she's a beautiful woman. She just is now a nearly 50-year-old beautiful woman.
1: I um, literally was... I don't know what I was looking at last night, but I was just scrolling through the internet and uh, there was a thing uh, about some new music from Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles.
2: Yeah, she's still stunning, isn't she? It's
1: unbelievable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> she I literally said to my wife, will you look at Susanna Hoffs?
2: And, and also, she's obviously had work done, but it's really good work. Yeah. And I just, I have no, but I, I I love a bit of Botox, me. Mm. I have been adopted fully by my home county of Essex. <laughs> get the lips, get the Botox, love it. Get the hair blonded and then pinked. Um, but yes, they're, yeah, I mean, they're just... Gorgeous, gorgeous women, aren't they?
1: And and men, Morton Harkett. Ah,
2: yeah, oh, he came into Nickelodeon once. Oh, I was God. a massive Aha fan when I was a kid, and I've got and Hunting High and Low is just such a beautiful yeah. record. It was amazing. Um, and then he came into. I mean, he was obviously a, like Aha would, had had. Had peaked and troughed yeah. by then. Oh, I bet
1: he looked like a bag of rubbish then.
2: No, he still looked too cheeky. Cheek bones he could slice fucking cheese <laughs> on, mate. He was still gorgeous and he was so charming and lovely. I
1: heard, I don't know if I'm right here, that he was with the woman from. What was the band done? Barbie girl.
2: Oh, Aqua, Lena, Lena. Lena. Yeah. yeah. I think he was with her. Oh, really? But they'd yeah. make a cute couple.
1: Yeah. Well anyone's gonna look good if you're with Morton Harkett. I know. Right, yeah.
2: Uh, what is that there a couple now?
1: I, I don't know, this was like the last I heard. I'm sure. Oh I'm it was gonna have I to I Google married. that when yeah. I get out of here. There you go. There you go. Right, so playlist uh, is done. What track are you going for by first aid kit?
2: Um probably Emmy Lou, I should think. Oh. I, do, I mean, I know it's like the, it's the out and out one, isn't it? But I just, and I sing it to the kids as well. Yeah. When I'm in Fine fettle, when I, when the voice is in, in, in a good place, I can sing that.
1: When, uh, you go on YouTube to watch him perform for, mm-hmm. um, Paul Simon, also watch them perform for Emmylou, because that is unreal.
2: Oh, uh, for Emily Lou. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, how lovely.
1: She's in pieces. Is she it's really? Like, yeah. Mm. It's, uh,
2: it's, I mean, how do they get through it? Because I can't sing when I'm, going, when I'm going to cry. It's really yeah. that, The one thing people don't realise, this is from my time in musical theatre, is all those kids on The X Factor and stuff, especially when they've won it, and yeah. then they have to go and perform the single, yeah. it's fucking hard to do when all you want to do is cry. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> well, looking ahead... Um, we're we're recording this um, in the middle of um, June, mm-hmm. so we've just been told that we're in lockdown for another uh, a relaxed lockdown. It's for very another relaxed, month. isn't it? It's yeah. basically
2: just no clubbing and no gigs. Yeah, that's it, isn't no it? No fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and so with that in mind, what are you? I oh, will tell you what. Before we even go there, let's talk about your podcast.
2: Aye, regular bitches. Yes. Did you know, Stu, a certain lovely man has asked us to play at the um. Um, McFly gig in Southend. We're on the really? podcast stage. Yes, he thank you very like much. A wonderful he's, young man. He's lovely. We're <laughs> shitting ourselves. Um,
1: Have you not done a live show with him? No,
2: yet? but I could, I mean, I can talk. That basically, I said to Lou um my other my regular bitch co-host i said listen there's every chance we're just going to have a half hour conversation on our own in a tent are you okay with that and she went yeah i'm fine with it but uh we we have got a plan um so we might see if we can get a certain podcasting mcfly wife on for 10 minutes with us if if she can leave the kids Mm. because i don't know what their situation will be but Mm. i'm going to slide into her dms at some point um and if not then we will just you know just have we I'll talk to anybody, yeah. and I don't mind even. And Lou will not mind being my, you know, my sidekick for this. And I'll, I'll just take questions from the crowd on the '90s. What do you want to yeah. ask me about the '90s? You know, it's, it'd just be really fun to be there. I'm really mm-hmm. excited, and I bloody love McFly. So, mm. yeah, that's going to be really good. But we are irregular bitches. Um, it's it, it was Lou always wanted it to be more a menopause podcast. I wanted it to be a midlife podcast because I just think you get to you. You won't understand this, too, because men do age better than women, but you, like, I I never minded people wolf-whistling at me in the street. I always, uh, maybe that's a bit anti-feminist of me, but I was, I quite liked being attractive to the opposite sex and then it all suddenly fucks off when you're in your 40s and it's like, (laughs) what happened? I mean, you know, I've still got it going on, maybe. Um, And so I started it with Louise because we were both struggling with our hormones and we both just didn't want mid 40s uh, early 50s women to become to feel invisible like they are sometimes made to feel so and and it, it, it's irregular bitches because you might not know this but your hormones you, just make your periods really irregular when you when you start going through the perimenopause so we are literally irregular bitches um and it's really been an eye-opener because so many women do struggle with their perimenopause and menopause symptoms it's really hormones are absolute wankers ultimately and um and you go to the doctor because your your moods are swinging wildly and you can't sometimes you can be in the same room with your family and sometimes you really can't and they just give you an antidepressant and it's not that's not the fix really uh, and it's not sometimes HRT sometimes it's just having somebody it's in the same boat to talk to about it so we've had nutritionists on um, doctors we have had Dr Sarah Jarvis we've had Dr Amir Khan on um, to talk us through what's going on with our bodies and then we've had loads of my old 90s mates so we've had Tamsin althwaite lisa snowden amanda abington who was married to martin freeman pro offered her as a guest because i was like we'd been blown out by somebody she she messed me and went oh come on and she was amazing um so it's just a little chat about being in your 40s late 40s early 50s really and and what it's like to be a woman in her late 40s early 50s and it's wonderful um and it's hard work because, as you know, like there's no fucking money in podcasting. Uh-huh. It's not going to buy you a Ferrari, is it? No. But I think it's important to keep this dialogue open, especially now that the menopause is being taken out of the corner. It's like baby in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. I always say nobody puts menopause in the corner. Or menopause or women in the corner. And now Davina started the dialogue when she did her documentary recently, and it's it's starting to be out there. And I'm I'm keen to carry the conversation going, not just about the m- menopause, that you know, but just about how you have to remember women in their late 40s and 50s now were forged in the fires of girl power. You know, we're not our mums who were, you know, had very, very different lives to us and it was put up and shut up. We weren't. We're not going to take it fucking lying down. So, well, we don't want to take anything lying down anymore because we don't like (laughs) having sex anymore. (laughs) darling leave me alone um but um but honestly so that's i just think let's not forget that we had fire in our belly then and we haven't stopped having fire in our bellies now so that's what i I just want to make content for those women because they saw me through some you know fabulous and some awful times back in the 90s and noughties and it's and also it's really nice and i've heard you and scroobius pip talk about this as well and him and fern on happy place it's really nice um to do a podcast because there's no tv bullshit fucking hate tv bullshit and you just do what you like you just do what you like you make the content that you want if somebody wants it you know and you you, you're not going to make any money out of it but you might make a bit and nobody tells you what to do nobody tells you to take that bit out or you shouldn't say that i i openly talk about the fact i used to take drugs in the 90s and noughties now i used to be terrified of admitting that on any sort of tv program but that's what i did why am i lying about it so was everybody. We were all off our of faces. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to pretend that I had was holier than now. And it's very freeing. Podcasting is very freeing, and then you also get to meet some of my good friends now. Come from
1: podcasting, yeah.
2: you get to meet wonderful people Absolutely. who are doing the same thing. It's very safe, very safe place. It is safe it's, and creative.
1: It is. It's, it's, it's a it's a community. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, and, and it's something that I didn't really get that. In the music industry, and it feels... That...
2: Yeah, the mu- yeah music industry was slightly kinder than telly. But, mm. I mean, had a conversation on Sunday. We had a barbecue, and some of my friends were like, but if you got offered, you know, the jungle, would you do it? I was like, no, I fucking wouldn't. For a start, for a celebrity of my calibre, the money would be appalling. And I don't... I'm not going to, like, make a twat of myself in the vain hope that I might get some little... TV tidbit dangled in front of me. Oh, do you want to get back on the telly, Kaywood? It's like, no, fuck off. I'm happy at home making a podcast and being an Essex mum. Yeah. It's, it's a, I lead quite a simple life, but I lead it on my terms. I'm a scentsy consultant, Stu. I sell fucking scented wax and it makes me really happy.
1: <laughs> Fundamentally... That's the be-on-endo, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Do what makes you happy. And, yeah. and if you and it, uh, you know, that's the holy grail for me. And, and also, that is success to me. Success is not Range Rovers and five-bedroom houses and being on the telly. It's, um, it's about being happy. If you're, if you're happy or you are striving to find happiness and you're working towards finding happiness, that is success.
1: Bravo, you. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. That, that right? great. Absolutely lovely. Thank you. There you go, Sarah Kaywood. One absolute delight. Oh, it was such a nice chat, and it felt great to be sitting in the the shed at the end of the garden with someone, and and not just having this, you know, animated chat with someone, you know, it, uh, over my laptop. So this was really nice to have to be able. It sounds really silly. Set up two microphones just to plug that second microphone in my little recorder and not have to convert Zoom audio afterwards. It's just, yeah, I've gone old school, and uh, if that is old school. But, yeah, it was an absolute uh, delight to speak to to Sarah. Go check out the podcast. Uh, It's Ace, as I'm sure. Um, And, yeah, I guess – oh, I'll tell you what. I did mention it at the beginning, but I'll just nudge you again once more. If this is your first time listening, go and have a look in the archives because a lot of the people that we spoke about today – um i've had them on as guests, so go go have a rummage and find them and uh and yeah, I know we spoke quite a lot about nineties music if that's your thing, then oh my gosh, go get stuck in because yeah i've spoken to uh yeah, all of them. And more. Right, I'm back next time. In the meantime, give us a like, love, share, retweet, subscribe, all the usual gubbins. Um, have a lovely week. Um, stay safe. Be excellent to each other. Thanks again to you lot for listening. Thanks once more to Sarah for giving up her time and coming over to the hood to uh, to record in the end of my garden. I'll be back next time. Much love. Bye bye. <laughs> off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces
0: Network. Keep me stew with him.